Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Band is back together. Joining me as always, Matt Sims, former NFL and college QB, founder of the Sims Complete QB, and also host of Sims Complete. And with us, of course, Ryan Roberts, Irish Breakdown, recruiting analyst and NFL draft analyst. Today, we've got a lot to cover. We're going to be reacting a little bit to the Nick Saban news uh, as that completely put the college football world into a frenzy. And then we're also going to break down three guys that are fringe first round NFL draft prospects. All that coming up on today's show. Guys, let's start off talking about the legendary head coach, Nick Saban, and just our general reaction. Not really going to throw out any coaching candidates because there's a possibility that this thing accelerates very quickly by the time that this, this episode is posted. But we can all agree here that Nick Saban is a guy who has had massive uh, impact and, and change in the college football world. He has shaped college football to the way that we see it today, just from a entertainment standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, every single level, Alabama football has been that standard. Matt, coming to you first, what are your thoughts on the news that Nick Saban is going to retire? Yeah, I mean, it's sad news, really big picture for all of football, for football fans uh, to think that not only Nick Saban, but Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, all departing their respected jobs and, and their positions that they have held for such a long period of time. And uh, we really just have to understand that we are in a transition. It, we are moving into a different era of college football and really just football in general and the business of football most importantly. And I think for a guy like Nick Saban, the transition of how the game has taken place over this last two or three years, I think has really accelerated maybe just how he views the state of college football, where it's going, and also maybe just enjoying the fact that like, hey man, it was a hell of a ride. I've done a great job and maybe it's time to let some of these other, these younger guys out there do their thing because I'll never forget, I met uh, Dana Bible, longtime offensive coordinator for Boston College in North Carolina State. I saw him while he was an assistant with the San Francisco 49ers before the Falcons of the 49ers were playing. I said, hey coach, you ever going to try to be an OC here in the NFL? He looked at me, he goes, Sims, he goes, coaching, it's a young man's game. And I was like, no, coach, <laughs> you still got time. And he goes, no, Matt, you don't get it. It's a young man's game, and I just can't do it anymore. So good for Nick going out with having what everyone thought is his best coaching job of his career coming up short in the Rose Bowl. But we, we just have to tip our caps to these three gentlemen, and especially to Nick Saban. He is the greatest of all time at the college level. I was honored to get my ass beat by him on two different occasions on the Tennessee sideline. And uh, to be able to share the field with someone like that, uh, truly amazing. Uh, I'm just uh, honored to be a part of that history mm. in the worst possible way, uh, being a <laughs> Tennessee volunteer. But Nick Saban, uh, just a, a tremendous person for the sport. And uh, good luck to him and his, his future venture. This feels eerily similar to that little bit of a period of quarterbacks in the NFL where we lost Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, yeah. Philip Rivers in like a couple year span. That, that's mm. how it feels like because that was it was who you grew up with. I mean, 
Nick Saban took over the Alabama Crimson Tide, I believe, when I was 15 years old. You mentioned Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick took it over when I was eight years old. Like for my entirety of my really NFL and college football watching, it was Belichick and Saban, man. And they were obviously <laughs> they were on staffs together. They were really good friends. So like it was it's very it, it's like full like coming to closure here that both of these guys do it back-to-back days because they're obviously really good friends like it just felt like it was kind of a story that was already written that that it was going to happen that way right and i mean from the nick saban perspective forget about just alabama man i mean everything he was able to accomplish in his career from a nfl defensive coordinator perspective from what he did at lsu i mean he really started lsu the trajectory that they've been on over the last 25 years as well i mean he really started that up alabama obviously would be able to do that Nick Saban was excellent at Michigan State, which isn't obviously the easiest place to win consistently at either. Yes. So he has been a just a pioneer of college football, right? And he has been just a beacon of what excellence looks like. I know Alabama fans, especially before Nick Saban got there. I mean, I don't, Joe, are you old enough to remember the Mick Shula era? Are you no, old enough to remember that? No, <laughs> you oh, God, like, no. It wasn't great. I mean, Matt, it was like six and yeah. six, seven and five. Like that was the standard of Alabama football before Nick Saban right. got there. And he got there in, in two years, they were contending for a national championship. Like it was that quick of a turnaround. And he has just did a tremendous thing for college football. He's been an advocate for a lot of changes that we've seen over the years and seven national championships to, you know, the most storied program in college football in today's world. Mm-hmm. Like as of what they've done, people didn't think that you were going to be able to replicate what Bear Bryant had done in Alabama, and then Nick Saban matched it. They went in seven national championships. So it's going to be a big shoes to fill, man. He obviously did a tremendous job at, at Alabama and in his entire coaching career. Just a closing thought before we transition to our, our main topic on today's show. I, I don't think anybody is going to ever match the level of success that Nick Saban has had. And I know that's so easy to sit here and say whenever a – you know, a great entity in sports retires, but except for his first season where they lost to like UL, UL Monroe, I think was the team that they lost to. They haven't had really any bad seasons. Their worst seasons were 10 win seasons. There have been so many elite Heisman Trophy winning players, award winning players, future first round picks, all pro NFL players that he has developed. The accomplishments and the way that he has checked boxes in every single category is just on a complete other level. And sure, I may, maybe somebody does come within striking distance, but I, I think that he has set a new unrealistic standard that is going to be so hard for another coach to come with within striking distance. So uh, congratulations to Nick Saban on an amazing career. Guys, let's transition our focus. Oh, just ahead, one go moment. Ahead. I'm sorry. I, I just I, I go, get go, excited go. about this topic, but just <laughs> one thing to keep in mind for this, right? The ability for both of these gentlemen, Belichick and for Saban, the adaptability as a coach. Even you just saying Nick Saban, yeah. what he did. He's got two Heisman Trophy winners at running back. He had a quarterback. He had a receiver. You know, so it's just like the ability to win multiple different ways and styles of football. Credit to his genius as well. Yeah. The other aspect that kind of scares me too, and I'm a quarterback saying this, is that we're losing two of the greatest defensive coaches that we've seen at the head coaching position. And the way that football has been going lately, everyone keeps complaining about NFL football. It's getting worse. Well, it's getting worse because college coaches aren't that good anymore at teaching Mm -hmm. the details and the specifics to certain things in certain positions. This is why Harbaugh and them won at Michigan because they play NFL brand of college football. So 
big thing as far as the state of college football and where it goes with these two Titans now leaving that huge void. Yeah, we'll see what ends up happening. That's a really great point to to close that out there. That like we've we're losing two massive defensive um, juggernauts in the game of football, and it's it's going to be hard to. Well, I mean, Belichick's not done. Yeah, yet, well, he's yeah, find his right, job. right, he's right, right, job. right. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I think he should retire in somewhat grace, like Saban's doing, but that's. It's not going to happen we'll because Bill Belichick is is stubborn. Maybe he's the next head coach of Alabama. He's, he's also only like fifteen. He's also like only fifteen wins away from Don Shula's oh, NFL record. That might take him fifteen so years though. He's got to back Joe's finally. So, you know, man. All right, guys, let's uh, let's transition our focus here to the NFL draft, and maybe one of these guys could be the future of the New England Patriots. I, I think that we have an understanding of who the top four guys for the quarterback position are going to be in, in a differing level of orders uh, for the quarterback position. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, and then Bo Nix feels like he's kind of found good footing somewhere in the first round. But now there's going to be, I believe, this massive, massive debate on where does the next crop of guys fall in line. And then after we talk about these three guys, there is just a fall off of a cliff mo- moment with with the remaining group because it's just a bunch of who are you talking about um but the three guys that i'm referring to michael Penix from washington i'm talking about jj mccarthy from michigan and i'm talking about cam ward from washington washington state michael Penix had such a volatile season here in 2023 now there was speculation on him dealing with an injury him having the flu yada 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 some of his highlights yeah. were tremendous some of the highlights of what he was able to put on film was uh, amazing some of the plays and the in the deep throws that he was able to have in connection with Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan he showed uh, a rare capability to drive the ball down the field but he also had some really bad games especially in the national championship game it felt like the general public was willing to crown Michael Penix as the first overall pick after the Texas game, and now here we are, and you don't hear from any of those people because he had a really rough game against Michigan. I don't think either side is who he is as a player, and we need to figure out where that middle ground is. Ryan, I want to come to you first on this one. Uh, Your thoughts on Michael Penix, do you think he ends up being a first-rounder? I mean, I mean, Joe, what was the main thing that I had talked about? Because I'm going to talk about the medicals in a second. But my main hangup with Michael Penix as a player, and it has been even before the national championship game, which it came in volumes, is the kid is at times a magician outside the numbers. Oh, yeah. Like throwing comebacks and outs and and being able to work the, you know, the, you know, the against the Tamp, you know, against um like a too high system, working that honey hole and and doing all those types of things down the sideline. Really good stuff, man. Like he throws with anticipation. He's got pretty good, you know, accuracy in those terms outside the numbers. Middle of the field work, though, man, it's just it's not very good. I mean, his ball placement and his timing is just off to the middle of the field. And anytime you're gonna make a jump to the NFL, man, when you are just kind of well below average in one area of the field, that hinders you so much, man. I mean, just so much on the next level. So I I the accuracy in the middle of the field, I just it's not there. I think his mechanics kind of go awry when he's kind of working a little bit, processing to the second, third read and progressions as well. But the biggest thing, and the reason why I think he ends up falling out of the first round and probably goes more in the early second round, is because of the medicals. 
it's going to be ugly, folks. I mean, we we're just kind of skipping over this because we fell in love with his performance against Texas, which I get, man. He was really good against Texas. Yeah. There's no doubt. But my guy has had, I think, the previous three years before Washington, or previous four seasons it might have been, it was at least three, he had season-ending injuries. He wasn't able to finish a year. And multiple knee injuries to the same knee. He also has a shoulder injury in his yeah. past that cost him the, almost the entirety of the season. The medicals are going to be ugly, I think. Ultimately, that's what's going to hinder where he goes in this draft. It's it's going to it's going to make it or break Michael Penix. Is there a world where the medicals come back and he ends up sliding into the end of the first round? Possible. But I think when you talk about his performance in the biggest game of the season against the best defense that he played all year, combined with the fact that he just struggled to the middle of the field consistently on film, adding into the medical issues, I think he's going to go more early day two than late day one. Like I just don't necessarily see it right now because when you're talking about a resume, it's about che- you're checking boxes at the end of the day as an NFL prospect. Like check, 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 especially at the quarterback position, man. Like you just want clean across the board. You just want to check those boxes and then hopefully you get a couple exclamation point next to a couple of those boxes mm. as well. He's just got two boxes, too many boxes in my opinion that are going to not be checked enough for an NFL team to look at and be like, man, like you, but it's a little bit too hairy to take in the first round. That's just kind of my thoughts on Michael Penix right now. Bet Online remains your top spot for all of your live betting action and contests. NFL, college football, UFC, NHL are all in full swing. Bet Online is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions with both desktop and mobile access at any time. Head to Bet Online today and use promo code Believe. That's B L E A V for fifty percent off your first deposit. That is a fifty percent welcome bonus. Bet Online, where the game starts. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I think that's going to be an assessment too that a lot of teams take and when they look at this. But the one thing that I'll say is that Michael Penix coming out of this year's draft. I mean, he is probably if not the best, right? He is 1A, 1B as the the best thrower in this upcoming draft. His ability to throw from different platforms, as every other quarterback coach says in the world, to throw from off-balance positions, to maneuver in the pocket, the way that he made Texas defenders miss consistently within the pocket, reset, and then throw aggressive footballs over the middle in that game specifically against pressure is extremely just uncanny, and you don't see it that often. Right. So he is a very Jacqueline and Hyde prospect to me. You're going to have guys, me and Ryan are in the same room. Joe, you're our GM. I'm going to say, you know what? I don't care about the medicals. I am going to design an offense that makes this guy look like he is John Elway out there because he has that type of arm talent. And then Ryan's going to say, yeah, but can he stay healthy the whole year? That's a big yeah. concern. We don't have a great offensive yeah. line coach. We need to do something here. So He is going to be a little bit of a boomer bust in that room. His throwing is absolutely phenomenal. It really is. His ability to move in the pocket is top-notch. It might be one of the best, if not the best, in the country this year. The concerning to me is that occasionally he does rely, almost like a Jordan Love, of sitting on his back foot and he dips Mm. underneath his throws too much. 
And that's what you saw in the yeah. Michigan game, right? He got caught underneath his throws, and that's where the throws, they kind of drifted a little bit higher than their their target. Whereas considered to like a C.J. Stroud type who seems to get through his throw like a great power puncher in a boxing match does consistently, and that's why the football stays level over the middle more. This, to me, is something that Michael Penix can correct. This, to me, is something that he can improve on at the next level. If Tua Tungavailoa can become a better NFL football player, Michael Penix can do that exact same thing too as well. You know, given the right circumstances, the right atmosphere, the right coaching as well. The other thing that I just want to highlight too with Michael Penix is the, the injuries are absolutely scary. They really are. But I'm not going to take away what this guy did the past two years because he played against a team that is arguably one of the best defenses I've ever seen in person mm. in my life. That's a good point. You know, I'm really not. When I looked at that game, because I was there in person and I was thankful to be there in person, I saw an NFL team versus a college team that really probably shouldn't have been in that game, you know, in the real aspect of it. They were not the same caliber of football team as Michigan. You know, that secondary is legit. The linebackers, I correlated them with Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith. That's how good Michael Barrett and Junior Colson looked on the field when they played. The depth of the defensive line. So I'm not going to punish him for bringing his team to a level that they probably weren't even going to be on if he wasn't on the team in the first place. Realistically, Washington is like an 8-4 and four football team without Michael Penix on their roster. Could be. I, I think Junior Colson just entered the draft, by the way. Just oh, entered early into the NFL he's, draft. He's a bad oh, dude, man. He's a bad dude. I loved dude. him. Here, here's, my, here's my bias, Joseph. Here's my bias. <laughs> okay. Aside from Chris Sims, I hate all left-handed quarterbacks. <laughs> so that's another thing that's working against Michael Pitts. <laughs> Thanks for that tidbit. Uh, I think you bring up cool. a re- really good point. Thanks that, for sparing, Chris. Um, <laughs> a, a, lot, a lot of people after the game are like, oh, this Michael Penix guy sucks. Uh, which is so stupid, man. That that is. They said the that about Kyle team. McCord too, you know. And I don't know. I mean, you know, right. you know what the common denominator is: the Michigan defense, Jesse Minter. Yes. You know, so it's sure. okay to you know say that the other team's just better. Like, what's wrong with that? You know, right. That's yeah. what it all comes down to. That that defense uh, being elite. Just a final thought on this before we get to um, the next guy. I kind of compare circumstantially a little bit to Hendon Hooker last cycle for different reasons. No, but I, like I think we're who's going to take him. It's going to be very similar to what happened with, with Hendon Hooker. It's comparable because Hooker didn't, you know, he's dealing with a singular knee injury and that injury impacted his yeah. pre-draft process. The difference here, obviously is Penix is healthy and he's going to actually probably be able to throw and he needs to throw at the combine. He needs to do all the athletic testing to show that he doesn't have any lingering issues. Um, but the, you know, one of the other differences here that, that does come into play is that Hendon had a singular injury. He had the singular knee injury that, that impacted his draft stock. These are multiple injuries. And I think the general public is not aware of that. And that's why a lot of people were so hyped up and excited about him and saying, yeah, well, he should be in the same convo as, as Caleb Williams. No, he shouldn't. There is going to be such a complicated evaluation with trying to figure out the right situation for this player, because if his health is not fully there, your franchise can be set back very, very far back if you take him too early. So I think it's similar to Hendon Hooker, in which the Detroit Lions took him to sit behind Jared Goff, and if for whatever reason, in a couple of years when Goff's contract is up, they make that transition, and Michael Penix, because he's so gifted, 
Similarly, the same stuff can happen. He should be in the same conversation with the Caleb Williams as a player to player. Right. Now, as a commodity for your team and for an investment, right? Now, that's another subject, and that's where the injuries come into place. But for player to player, you can argue that Michael Penix has proven just as much, if not more, right, as Caleb Williams in his his career at Mm. Washington. JJ McCarthy, the guy that he faced off against within the national championship. Shut up, Ryan. Uh, the pause. Carl, that was a that was a fine transition. I yeah. thought you were going to throw oh, something no, in there. Fine, man. It's fine. He faced off with JJ McCarthy in the national championship game, and I jokingly compared JJ McCarthy's contribution uh, to that of the guy who shows up on the day when you're presenting a project in college, and you get the A, and he's like, "Yeah, guys, great job, everybody," but he didn't really. You know, do a whole lot of contributions. I was to that presentation. guy. <laughs> hey, you didn't have to admit it. Um, <laughs> I know that guy well. I know him well. <laughs> but uh, Takes JJ one had, no some one. Hi- had some highlights and some lowlights this season. Uh, a physically gifted football player, but for some reason, I feel like it's just not always there in his decision making, and it doesn't always click with his ball placement and his timing. There's just a couple things that feel a little bit off. He has not announced his decision on if he's going to declare or not. I personally think it would be best for him to go back, spend another year learning to play the quarterback position and improve. Um, And in that time, you could have a a climb in potential draft projection. Um, I also compare him to Daniel Jones. I think that there's a lot of validity to that statement. Matt, you said beforehand, before we started taping, that you had an interesting take on him. What do you think about J.J. McCarthy? Big picture-wise, if I'm J.J. McCarthy, if my head coach leaves, probably leaving with him, unfortunately. Now, is this mm-hmm. the right move? You know, I, it's debatable, right? I don't know how much J.J. will improve his stock from this year to next year, depending upon just what takes place with Michigan, with their coaching staff, all that kind of stuff. Because if I'm Harbaugh, you know, a lot of the assistants that helped me become successful at Michigan, I would like to take to the NFL level. I would like to see what Sharon Moore and what Jesse Minter will be able to do at that NFL level at that new position. So to stay at Michigan for J.J. McCarthy, very scary situation knowing that the entire uh, mm. atmosphere and culture that you've been around is going to be completely just rebranded with whoever the new head coach is. A little scary to me to kind of start from zero all over again. The other aspect that I think of is too is that like I'm literally going up to Harbaugh if I'm JJ McCarthy and I'm just like, listen, man, I'm coming out. I'm probably not going to get drafted early. You're going to take care of me and draft me in the fourth or fifth round and let me be the guy that works as the number three trying to be the backup and maybe becomes your starting quarterback in the future of whatever team that you go to, right? And that's the real conversation that I'm having because I, like you, Joe, see the same thing. Not enough experience throwing the football, right? I mean, if you compare just the throwing numbers between him and Michael Penix, Michael Penix has played five seasons compared to, you know, J.J. McCarthy's two seasons that he's played, right? As far as throwing the ball, reading Mm -hmm. defenses, having the pressure of his own success, the team's success, right? Like we've seen with Michael Penix, Caleb Williams, Drake May. So that's concerning too, right? His throwing is, you could see that it can be a lot better. It is still subpar. His base is too wide. His arm gets too long. 
It breaks that, you know, 90 degree arm angle too often. And this is why we see balls either go extremely high or extremely low on easy completions for him consistently. But he's a good athlete. He moves in the pocket well. And I think that he can become a better thrower if he just learns to kind of understand more about the mechanics and kind of copy what other great throwers are doing instead of trying to rip it as hard as he can every throw. So I think JJ's interesting. He is definitely not a first round pick. I would say that he no. is easily more so a, a fourth to fifth and on type of draft pick that has a lot of upside for your program in years to come. You want a hot take, Joe? Are you ready for a hot oh, take? Oh, no. I love Let's hot takes on the show, man. All right, I'm going to do my analysis on J.J. McCarthy in a second. But I think it's more likely that J.J. McCarthy goes in the first round than Michael Penix Jr. I hate that. I hate that. All right, but I you, absolutely. You, you, you got to say why you now. You can't just say that and just leave it. Because of feedback that I've gotten, there's a lot of people that are just falling in love with the combination of, and you hit on it, Matt. He is a talented kid as far as arm is pretty natural, got live to it. He's also a very good athlete. He moves well in the pocket, springing as an athlete. They say the the super cliche stuff as well. He's a winner, right? Like just he only lost one game in his career. He's a winner so in two stupid. seasons. Championship yeah. quarterback. I know. But the cliches are right. alive there. Let's be honest yeah. with ourselves. They're alive. You look the prototype. You won a bunch in college. You had improving production from year one to year two. People want to bet on that kid. And the other part is, is that he's younger, right? right. The, the, the comparison between him and Michael Penix. Michael Penix is going to be 25 as a rookie. He's going to be 21 in J.J. McCarthy throughout most of his years. So you can sell yourself into he has more upside because he just hasn't played as much as Michael Penix. He can maybe get to a higher level, potentially, yada, yada, yada. I think it's a flawed mentality. Yeah. But I think ultimately that might end up pushing him a little bit higher than where anybody should be taking him. Because I think we agree in the fact that, I know we agree, this is the kid that you want in the late day two range, early day three range as a developmental quarterback that isn't there yet, or he goes back to school and he tries to mature himself in a season, right? That's more, you're trying to bet on the tools with that type of kid, but day one, if you're going to draft him, and I think this might end up happening, he might end up getting drafted much higher than he should, and he's going to get pressed into a early situation that is just not going to be advantageous for his long-term NFL career. Totally agree. That's kind of how I see totally it. Totally agree. I compare him a little bit to, and like foundationally from a skill set perspective, I think it's a little bit of a comparison, but he reminds me a lot of Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is a talented kid, and if Zach Wilson would have had time to just mature on the NFL level early instead of being pressed into duty, it may have been a different story. But unfortunately, he was put in, he was drafted way too early, put in a position to fail, and yeah. he ended up failing. And that's ultimately where it might hurt J.J. McCarthy. Totally agree. And there's tons of examples in the NFL level of this exact same thing. To me, he just hasn't dropped back and, and thrown the football enough against opposing defenses. Even no. though he has the 26 and 1 record, you know, listen, my grandmother would have went 26 and 1 with this Michigan team. Well, I mean, you know, maybe not that, but she would have won at least 20 games. I'll just say that much, right? Now, the other thing is he definitely has upside, but if he is pressed to play early within his first year, it's going to fail. It is not going to yeah. go well. Unless the recipe for that football team is for him to drop back 20 or less times and they are a heavy run team and designed the exact same way that Michigan is. 
uh, a la Mark Sanchez with the New York Jets, where it was all about run the football, play great defense. We're going to throw it 25 times or less. You know, we're going to go to the AFC Championship game. But now this is the problem. They did not allow him to grow at the position and no. they stifled his growth and they ruined his career, right? So that's where I get scared with J.J. McCarthy. He is a developmental project. He is a player, like you said, Ryan and Joe, tremendous upside. He's got. There's a lot to like about him. But to think that he is ready to go in there and to take over a football team at an NFL level and to say, yeah, hey, just give me the football. I'll drop back 35 times and cut this team up. I don't see it yet. I think it's there but he needs a lot of fine-tuning as far as his presence in the pocket, the way that he stands with his technique, his arm angle, and how he does those things. But there's a lot of other aspects that I definitely like about him, and the more that I watched him this year, the more that I saw that stuff from him. But have to be have to tread very carefully with this as a draft pick. Well, Jim Harbaugh told me personally that J.J. McCarthy is as good a prospect as Andrew Luck. I remember him saying that in the preseason. He's also so, the yeah, greatest yeah. Uh, He's the greatest Michigan quarterback of all time, which is kind of a crazy thing to, uh, to even just think about. Uh, let's talk about a, our and last actually, player. Who I think that might be a true statement, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you think, if you, that's actually be. a true about it. Yeah. But like – what did he really do to fit that criteria? Because I mean, he won. He went twenty six yeah. and one and won their first national championship since you he weren't was, able to claim it anymore. He was man, on the team now as Chad on the listen, team when that happened. We're we're critical of it, Barry, because it's kind of funny. But at the same time, as Chad Pennington once told me, and he's told many other quarterbacks too, who is a very underrated quarterback. So everyone at home be like, yeah, "Oh, Chad Pennington, don't, yeah. I don't want to hear that crap." Right? His always thing that he said is, "Hey, your first job as a quarterback." Don't lose the game, all right? And I will say that about JJ. He didn't lose them games. He really didn't, right? That's and true. And the one that he did was TCU, and that's why they got the L, right? So yeah, other than true. that, he yeah. did a good job of playing relatively clean in clutch moments when they needed him to. Last guy to finish this up here, Cam Ward from Washington State, has to be the biggest wild card out of any of these quarterbacks. Now, this is a guy who... I thought, and based on like a lot of what Ryan, what you and I talked about behind the scenes, like I, I thought that this guy was going to go to one of these premier Big Ten type programs, one of these massive programs, and take over and help lead them to the playoff and like really cement himself as one of the top three guys in the 2025 NFL draft. And if we're talking about like a pure arm talent standpoint, if we're talking about the Patrick Mahomes cliche, that's Cam Ward. Cam Ward has had, and we've talked about it on the show, he has had a ridiculous trajectory going from being not recruited at all to Incarnate Word to Washington State to being recruited by Miami and Ohio State to now deciding to declare for the NFL draft. Now, I had seen yeah. on Twitter, I forget, I think someone posted like a quote from an anonymous NFL exec. I'm forgetting where it came from, but said this is like a fourth or a fifth round guy. I compare... Cam Ward to Jordan Love when he came out. I, I really think that just from like a pure arm talent standpoint, from a pure rawness standpoint, Jordan Love comes out. No one really talks about him or truly knows who he is from a national perspective. His name starts to build momentum. He goes in the very end of the first round. He ends up becoming the future of the Green Bay Packers. He doesn't start for three years. I look at Cam Ward as a guy, 
a team that is is picking at the end of the first round that could trade back in or stay where they are and draft Cam Ward, let him sit for a few seasons, and he ends up being the future of the franchise. I don't know off the top of my head who that necessarily is, but his tools are all there, but he cannot jump onto the field just yet because of, again, that rawness and the level of development that needs to come into play here. Man, there's a lot There's a lot to unpack with Cameron <laughs> Ward. Is there ever? Um, there we go. Joe, I, I understand your, your mindset there. I understand why your mind goes there. The Green Bay Packers are just that odd team, man, that is always has the ability to be patient with quarterbacks. I mean, they traded a first-round pick for Brett Favre back in the day when they had Don Mikowski at quarterback because they were going to be patient with him. They were patient with Aaron Rodgers. They were patient with Jordan Love. Not every team operates like that, though. Like yeah. it's just it's a rarity for a team to have that much a level of patience, especially with a first round draft pick. Now that being said, I I love Cameron Ward the talent. I think that there are a lot of tools that I personally, and Matt, maybe Matt could speak to this as well as a as a quarterback coach. I would love to work with him in the sense of. He's got a good frame, pretty physically dense to get put together. He's got a really strong arm, easy velocity, can change arm angles and trajectories. It's really cool stuff. He's also a pretty gifted player outside of structure. Like he can make some magic happens when things break down a little bit at times, which I think is really cool and really fun. It's awesome. But I think that there were still some issues from a progression perspective. I still think there are some issues from a mechanical perspective. And I could. I can, I can fix those things, right? As a quarterback coach, I can make those things better. I can't teach, though, the arm strength he has, the talent that he has just physically. Mm-hmm. The thing that really gives me pause, though, with him is if you followed his whole saga of recruitment and then go, eventually going to the NFL, there's just some things behind the scenes there that would make me very uneasy as a program. Very uneasy. I mean, basically, and let's call it what it is. It's been out there. It's not a secret at this point anymore. He was... He was he was manipulating teams and this is totally fine. He's allowed to do this to give him more upfront money because he had the NFL in his back pocket and he knew that he was a draftable player, obviously. So he eventually opts not for Ohio state, not for Florida state, not for Miami. He opts to enter the draft because of a money thing. It's, it's basically what it is at the end of the day that shows lack of maturity to me because I had some, I had an NFL scout text me, Joe. I don't even know if I ever told you this. He texted me and said, if that kid goes to Ohio state, he's going to be a first round pick next year. Straight up. If that kid goes to Ohio state, he's going to be a first round pick next wow. year. And he chose the money instead of maybe taking that trajectory. Again, his prerogative, his decision, he's allowed to do whatever the heck he wants, but I am very weary of Cameron Ward. I am again, the talents love it. The, the support system and stuff behind the teams, uh, behind the scenes, that makes me personally uneasy. But I would love to work him as a quarterback coach. I just think there's maybe a little bit of baggage that also comes with Cam Ward, unfortunately. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, these are things that all, all the NFL teams are going to obviously look into, right, and, and be very, uh, you know, tough on when they go into that evaluation process. Because, I mean, you know, make – you know, we have to really understand that NFL franchises, they can't be as flexible as college – you know, cultures as far as their quarterbacks and, you know, taking chances that way too. You know, I think too many teams have been burned that way in the evaluation process, not even at the quarterback position, but they're ultra protective of that position in itself. Now to Cam Ward specifically, his throwing ability is legit. 
His arm flexibility and his ability to throw from awkward positions consistently is legit. The other thing is, you're right, Ryan, his ability to create and just be a, a wizard in the backfield is awesome. It really is. My one concern is, you know, it, it, it's I don't see a lot of throws from within the pocket, you know, with power, with people around him, you know, and that's concerning to me. When we look at the the past draft that we've, we've had, you know, there's a reason why a lot of people liked Will Levis. Tight pocket, not a great offense, threw powerfully still anyway. C.J. Stroud, you know, in the pocket, great decision maker, got through reads, threw the ball powerfully down the field. You know, we saw that. The guys that I feel like make their name off of all the extended plays in the backfield and all that kind of stuff tend to have a harder time transitioning to the NFL. You know, because one, the defensive lines are more talented. The hashes are tighter. It's easier for them to hawk you down. The coaching is better. So you can't just rely on like, yeah, I'm just going to wing it today type of vibe, right? And that's kind of what you get sometimes too from Washington State and Cam Ward and what they were doing. He has tremendous upside off the stuff field. I can't speak on those things. I know that as the player, he would definitely be very intriguing to me as the quarterback coach. But I also want to just let you guys know, too, you know, to kind of look behind the curtain here. The whole work on his fundamentals thing and all that kind of stuff. All these QB coaches and offensive coordinators, they don't know that stuff. They don't give a damn about that stuff. They just want to know, can you make the right read? Can you lead the team in and out of the huddle? Can you actually play on pace for what we're trying to do as an offense with the tempo that we want? The, te the technique and fundamental stuff really relies on him. You could tell no one told Jordan Love to change his motion to Aaron Rodgers. He learned how to throw like Aaron Rodgers because he watched him every day and was just like, I'm going to copy this day. I'm going to focus on doing this. I'm going to copy and paste that. How did Aaron Rodgers learn those things? Aaron Rodgers was like this his first year, right? How did he learn how to throw? Looking at Brett Favre every day in practice, copying and pasting what he did technically, mm -hmm. you know? So how you learn and improve as a thrower is really up to the individual himself. All the X's and O's and the leadership stuff, that's where the coaches are able to help you with that and creating an environment to help you be successful in that way. So he's got a lot of upside, has to be in a good environment that obviously allows him to grow in the position, and he would also be a developmental type of player like a J.J. McCarthy, like a Jordan Love too, where let's give him a few years and figure out what he's got. I mean, look at Mason Rudolph. He's a great example. I mean – I, I thought he was a total bust, you know, seeing him this year. And I'm like, yeah, you know yeah, he's what? He's looking pretty good now. He's a good, good player. He's survived, Kenny, Kenny you know, and, you know, but that's the thing, though, too. Kenny, Kenny had to play with a terrible offense. You know, Mason got to step in with all that stuff, got to settle down. And they said, yeah, this has got to right. go. This has got to go. So, you know, I, I'm not going to totally blame, you know, Kenny for that, right? But just – Credit to Mason Rudolph hanging in there. Credit to guys like Geno Smith hanging in there and then eventually just getting better, improving uh, just incrementally each and every year to become an NFL football player. So that's what I see from Cam Ward as well. We'll see where these guys end up. It's going to be an exciting NFL draft process as I'm sure we're going to continue to debate this as many other topics as well throughout the process. At Joe DeLeon, at Sims Complete QB, at Rise and Draft. Thank you for tuning in, folks. We will be back. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.